Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Did the cat in the Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist case of 1974 actually have a conversation with a police officer? Would the discovery that Jesus Christ had bloodline descendants really make any difference to anyone? What's with all the new UFO revelations from the U.S. military? Hello, and welcome to the 993rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM uh, radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube, and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and that was Paul. And today we bring you an open line show uh, with new, with with a, a sort of new, sort of mind mind wrenching scientific ideas, and uh, we'll we'll hop right into it. You can give us a call. Uh, that's four zero one seven six six one two four zero. That's from anywhere, or you can email Paul at behindtheparanormal.com. No, I should mention that that email is half working. Apparently, we can receive, but we uh, cannot send. The uh, tech uh, gurus are working on that. Uh, but, you know, go ahead and send. Oh, uh, and also, when in doubt, you could always reach out to us via Facebook as well. Of course. Uh, now, I want to give a bit of a shout-out to my son and daughter-in-law here. It is their seventh wedding anniversary today. Oh, yes. And we thank you and, and my lovely daughter-in-law for uh, spending a little time with us anyway. Oh, yeah. No, no worries. You know, it's okay. uh, it's... It's it's funny because on this day uh, seven years ago it was also raining uh, a little bit if I if I recall correctly but it ended up being a really nice day but it was it, the most beautiful wedding I ever attended you know, maybe pe- I'm a little biased <laughs> no I mean people keep telling me it was the best wedding they've ever been yeah. to and I and you know we did set the bar very high <laughs> well your mother and I uh, had a nice wedding As a matter of fact anybody who's left. Uh, alive says it was a very fun wedding. I know it sounded like a real hootin' nanny. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, um, we'll start with some questions from YouTube, which we tend to neglect our channel. But uh, I, I love these names. Ted Fio One. No idea who that is or where he's from, but um, right at the top of the lineup, Ben. Sure thing. And we'll start with this. So I grew up in Bridgeport and remember walking by that house. I would love to uh, talk to the police officer who supposedly looked down uh, as the cat asked him, How is your brother? Uh, he supposedly responded, He is dead, and the cat ran off swearing. <laughs> All right, now that's not something you hear every day. Uh, the background here, that's the uh, uh, increasingly famous, I guess, Bridgeport, Connecticut poltergeist case of 1974. I happened to blunder into it because I was on my uh, way to uh, dinner at Edel Rain Warren's house, the couple that's famous uh, from the Conjuring films. And uh, the case broke while I was just arriving, uh, about 10 miles away in Bridgeport. Uh, there were lots of, it's, it's considered one of the uh, best documented poltergeist cases in history. Because the place was crawling with first responders, uh, journalists, and a whole bunch of other people. So that was the background. Uh, one of the sideshows was that, uh, and it was a real case. I saw this stuff myself. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm the only major witness left 
except for uh, Officer Joe Tomek, whom you may hear on the show at some point, who was a retired police officer who saw a lot of stuff himself. Uh, but in any case, uh, the, the sideshow was the uh, cat, Sam, who was the pet of the little girl, Marcy, who seemed to be at the center of the case. And Sam supposedly could talk. Mm. Now, I wasn't born yesterday, and I, I never heard the cat talk, except I thought Marcy was uh, throwing her voice. But, but what kind of gets me about that uh, police officer story is that, the, is that Sam was an indoor cat. Wouldn't have been outside. Now, maybe it was the cat next door, whom I met in the course of this and was kind of strange. But uh, Sam supposedly um, could uh, could speak, and uh, the the man who was the, the head of the family there was uh, Gerard Gooden, Marcy's uh, adopted dad, had said that uh, the cat would come to the top of the steps, bang on the door, and demand to be let out. And this is a no-nonsense guy. So I really don't know, but I remember the, uh, especially having become a journalist later on, uh, standing there and watching network reporters from CBS, ABC, and NBC, which at the time was the only, were the only games in town, standing around Sam, holding mics to asking him to speak. I'll never forget that site. Anyway. Yeah, not uh, much changes, huh? <laughs> no, no. Anyway, thank you for the question, but uh, I think that it's, uh, I kind of reserve judgment on that, and I take it with a pillar of salt. Mm. Now, we have another question. This is from Tammy, uh, sort of along the same lines, uh, RE, the Bridgeport case. Uh, Paul, you said these entities had physical structure, uh, almost bird-like, if I remember correctly. Can you elaborate further? All right, uh, if I can. Um, yeah, the Monday night of the case, we, we had arrived on Sunday, and we were there for the better part of three days, because <clears throat> the place is pretty much a circus. Things were moving around. I saw a refrigerator float. I was hit by a flying television set, and a number of other things happened. But uh, <clears throat> in the case of um, the Monday night, uh, I call it an attack, because it really was by four what today we call parasites. We were uh, assuming these were demons at that time. I was a student for the priesthood, and the Warrens were very, very quote-unquote theological. So, uh, And we had a priest with us, Father Bill Charbonneau. And uh, <clears throat> this was... Um, uh, uh, this occurred when I was alone, not alone... But I was the only investigator in the house at the time. The Warrens had gone off to do a television interview. I was um, uh, there with the family. And these um, things came out of Marcy's room into the kitchen. You could see like a a cloud. And uh, in our recent uh, lecture program having to do with time storms, these uh, clouds do form. In our, the way we would put it, where there are intersect points with parallel worlds. Anyway, for these things, you could, you could see these kind of 
I call them gauzy. They were kind of off-white things um, coming down the hallway. And one of them came up to me. I put Marcy behind me because I knew it was after her. And just instinctively, I pushed against it. <clears throat> it pushed back, which uh, really threw me for a loop because these things are supposed to be spirits. Demons, by definition in the classic sense, are spirits. Therefore, no bodies. Well, this thing certainly had a body. I could feel a skeletal structure that was almost bird-like to me. I didn't do that well in biology class, but I know what a bird looks like. And uh, very strange. Uh, it got around me, threw Marcy across the room. And at that point, I pulled it, um, everybody out of the house. Um, fortunately, the police had... Uh, cordoned off uh, Lindley Street, at least that block of it, and uh, there weren't. we didn't walk out in the middle of a crowd. So that's uh, the story of that. On another occasion, <clears throat> this is a few years later, I had a similar physical confrontation with a poltergeist that felt the same way. And the funny thing is that in doing research in ensuing years, I found out that the, many of the ancients, particularly the Babylonians and the Sumerians, interpreted demons as being bird-like. I'm not entirely sure why, but maybe that's it. Maybe they had similar encounters. So uh, that's about all I can say about it. But the, the reason I think it was very physical was because these things are not spirits, in any classical sense of the word. They are uh, perfectly living beings, part of nature that we don't know about yet officially, and they live in parallel worlds, as uh, outlined in quantum mechanics, a sort of fringe area of theoretical physics. And physicists today believe in parallel words, usually in one form or another, because you can't get around it. You can't get around the math. You can't get around the experiments and the facts. So whatever these things are, we believe there are about nine different species of parasites, and some of the ones at the lower end uh, could bond with people for reasons that are we don't have time to discuss. And there you have it. I think that's why they're perfectly physical, whether you can see them or not. And the the, uh, the analogy I always use is if you're working on a computer and you want to open a picture, say in Photoshop or whatever app you use, you, um, you might say open a JPEG, okay? But if there are TIFFs and PNGs in there, you won't see them. They're there, but they're not there on that list because you're tuned in just to the JPEGs. Hmm. Anybody who's uh, in the computers might realize, and that's almost everybody today, will, will might uh, use that as a kind of way to understand why you wouldn't see them, but they're there physically. Hmm. Interesting. So, I don't know, Ben, if you had any comment, I mean, you weren't there. No. You weren't even uh, in my imagination at the time. Or, or was I there? Well, you were, well, let's see, it was 18 years before you were born, but you were, you were around really? parallel, parallel realities. 
Was it only 18 years? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, I guess so, huh? Yeah, well, geez, for some reason it feels like it's long, longer ago than that. You did better math than I did. Well, no, not really. I'm, I just, I use calculators. And <laughs> so I'm not that much better. Um, so, but, yeah, that's a story that I don't know if Ben has a comment. No, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like, I don't know, it, it was such a, a landmark case, I suppose. Um, and now it's sort of getting notoriety. Yeah, it was forgotten for 40 years, and then Bill Hall, who's been on this show several times, uh, wrote a book called The World's Most Haunted House, and which really um, took the whole thing by storm, and he really, I think he did a good job. And uh, But most most of the other witnesses are dead. Well, I mean, up until, like, what, like a decade ago, they you know, really the only thing that the Warrens were kind of known for at the time was the Amityville Horror, right? Yeah, and then and, and then, then, it's, then the conjuring, and then the conjuring came out, and now it's like there's more and more stuff kind of coming to the surface, mm. and it's like it's not like it wasn't there; people didn't know about it. Now it's just more popularized because now I'll, I'll, you know, if somebody even is, is vaguely aware of the para- paranormal in in some sense, I'll say, oh yeah, Bridgeport, and they're like, people are like, oh yeah, like I was at a wedding uh, yeah. three or four weeks ago. And um, I got I got talking with some of the people at our table, and I, I don't know how it came up, but somehow I think I think Marion brought it up actually, and everyone because it's like a fun party. Oh, Ben hunts ghosts, and it's like, <laughs> and so it's like like oh, that's kind of cool. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll I'll kind of explain a little bit of the history that you worked with Ed and Lorraine Warren, blah 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 blah. And I was like, I was they were like, oh, was he there for Amityville? And I was like, no, he almost. He, I, I was like, I was like almost, but he was there for the Bridgeport case, and he worked with him a couple other things, and they were like, Bridgeport case. Like we know that one, and I was like, "Oh, hmm. that's a surprise." So I think I think as time is going on, it's becoming more and more um, uh, popularized. And I I think I think Bill actually probably had a lot to do with that because prior oh, to yeah. his book, it was like you know one in 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 the archives somewhere hidden away. But now it's it's kind of like it's getting more and more more notoriety as time is going on. So I I think it's a landmark for a lot of different reasons. And so it's so I think I think that that probably is is one of the more interesting points is just how how we interact with the phenomena and 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 even well you've run into parasites in your time I mean I have yeah, yeah. I never had like <laughs> never had a, had a shoving match quite with so them. dramatic no 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 it, was, it wasn't as dramatic and I kind of just you know was like whatever about them it's like you yeah. know, you're you're not you're not as scary as like to think you are you know it's like I I know I know what you're trying to do here and it's you, that, that's that's really about it, you know. I remember the haunted policeman in Vermont. One of your fir- two first cases, baby's first case, and uh, you took the picture where that parasite appeared right in the back of the guy. Oh yeah, that, that dark mass figure, and I didn't want to show it to you. I was afraid, but you you, you took it in stride. You were I, a natural. I was I was very much enamored by Lord of the Rings at the yeah, time. Yeah, it looked like so. a black rider from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Anyway, so um, so that that's about uh, there'll be more coming down the Hollywood Pike about that case, uh, <clears throat> but uh, we can't talk much about that. But uh, thank you for the question, uh, the two questions uh, yes. on that case. And we is, shall move on to the next one. <clears throat> and now for something completely different. Um, so this is from Sam, uh, not the cat. No, not oh. Sam the cat. This Good. is from Sam, who writes. I saw a light being uh, bending over me in the middle of the night as it aroused me from sleep by calling my name. Uh, its voice sounded like excuse me. it was speaking through water. 
this being was over six feet tall and ended up collapsing into an orb. Then it shot through the ceiling, making a popping sound as it went. Now, that's interesting. That's kind of a combination of a number of uh, different phenomena that one hears about. Uh, the orbs, for one thing, these kind of balls of light that uh, <clears throat> really started to show up in, in photography when digital media came along. Now, in days of yore, we would use cameras with film and all that. And you get uh, sort of, they, they almost look like bursts of light, almost like reflections, but you could tell they weren't. Uh, so maybe those were early orbs, but uh, with digital media, such as your smartphone or a digital camera, uh, you can get these orbs, and sometimes you see them with the naked eye. I've seen many with the naked eye. Uh, one thinks of ball lightning, which is a known phenomenon. But orbs um, are often interpreted by many people as, quote, spirit orbs, and they assume that they're ghosts or something of that kind. Um, our interpretation varies from case to case. But very often we found those to be uh, living things that feed around the boundaries of parallel worlds, feeding on energy. Uh, we have a number of reasons for believing that, but they're very present in many of these flat areas and other cases. Um, as far as light beings are concerned, this is a common uh, happening. Um, I do think the popping sound is very interesting because yes. that almost sounds like ball lightning. It does, yeah. Which which makes it even more more fascinating. It's 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 interesting because the way it's described is is what's what's really kind of getting me. Like this, like the voice sound, like you're someone speaking through water. Yeah, and and you know then making. I don't know, it's the audio stuff that's really very interesting to me. What does it sound like if somebody speaks through water? A little bit of onomatopoeia right. there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess, I don't know, I, I, I guess kind of sounding muddy almost, okay. perhaps. Yeah. Like, uh, like, like kind of like you're, like, that's, that's what I, I would guess. Yeah, Sound, I sounding guess. very, very, very muddy, distant. You yeah, know, dis- maybe not so much distorted. Distorted kind of sounds more digital. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would be curious as to what it sounds like. Well, you know, I'm also interested in the fact that uh, so many of these things happen on the cusp of sleep. Mm. You know, hyp- the hypnagogic state, that sort of thing. That doesn't mean they're not legitimate. Uh, we we do tend to be more aware in a multiversal sense. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I've um, been in the cusp of sleep and have dogs barking in my ears and stuff like that. But uh, all of us have things like that uh, to some extent. Uh, or I'll hear, you know, your mom or something who isn't necessarily uh, pleased with something, you know. Oh, yeah. And she hasn't said a thing. Uh, so that, that sort of thing is... Uh, or maybe I'm just a fruitcake, I don't know. But, um, no, people uh, often say they have uh, things in that state of awareness. Um, but light beings, any kind of being, we always uh, send up the red flag 
don't trust him uh, at the risk of sounding like uh, Bill Murray and Ghostbusters too. That's a problem with aliens. You just can't trust him. <clears throat> but um, it's not wrong. <laughs> no, no. It's a matter of being very careful about that. On the other hand, you've seen uh, many cases of, of healings that have taken place. Kathy Martin could tell us about, about some of those where people have just come along and uh, ha- had serious illnesses. Orbs have shown up and kind of gone inside them and fixed it. You mm-hmm. know, and that's interpreted as alien intervention or something like that. On the other hand, there are cases where orbs have shown up, gone through people, and they end up with cancer or something like that. So you just don't know. Um, but um, if these things happen to you, you don't look for them. I mean, it is what it is. You know, you have to interpret it as best you can. Yeah. Just be ca- be cautious. And I, w- I would ask um, <clears throat> the questioner if... Um, any further events have taken place of that nature. Yeah, I'd be curious, too. Yeah, so maybe uh, write in again. But thank you for that. And now it is time for our Colombian Connection. Oh, yes. Which is Peter Shelley. Yes. I've been trying so hard to come up with a fun alliteration, and so there it is, our Colombian Connection. I like that. Uh, and Peter writes to us, uh, What has happened to alien abduction cases? They seem to have disappeared, or are you hearing about recent ones? Oh, yeah. Well, being a member of the uh, Experience or Resource team of MUFON, uh, we meet monthly and we communicate regularly. And um, I have heard of a number of cases recently. The thing is, abduction cases are becoming systematized. A lot of people are studying them, uh, mining the data that may be obtainable from them, <clears throat> uh, counseling and, or otherwise talking to the people who have experienced them and following the cases. Uh, you may mean, Peter, that um, uh, the nature of abductions has maybe changed from medical... Uh, procedures to other things. I'm thinking of um, the lady we had on, got to be a few months ago now, it was last year actually, who uh, had uh, actually claimed that she is, uh, she crews as a CREWS UFO craft and uh, has attended um, educational functions run by aliens for people of all sorts of different species. Mm. So, uh, I mean, take that for what it's worth, uh, which is maybe a lot. I don't know. I mean, it happened to her. <clears throat> and the um, uh, President Dennett, who was a, a uh, respected UFO researcher, uh, wrote a book about this case, and he claims, and I, and I, we trust him, that uh, a, a demonstration was mounted by a craft so that he would think would, would know that this was real. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, you know, take it for what it's worth and, um, you know, who knows, but abduction cases apparently are still taking place, uh, probably in numbers that are so great people would be very surprised. This raises questions in my mind about 
who's doing this, why, and <clears throat> how long has this been going on. There's every indication this is going on pretty much forever, which raises the question of um, what are we doing here? What, what are we for? What is the nature of God? Uh, are we meant as an experiment, this kind of thing? So really, uh, who knows? I mean, but present in most of our religions, including Christianity, is the, the idea of a war between good and evil. Uh, this goes back to many uh, legends of wars among the gods or wars among alien races. And we, we, we were kind of caught in the middle. So again, uh, who knows? Um, I sat down with your mom last evening, Ben, <clears throat> and she's um, taken to uh, watching Ancient Aliens, mm. which I find rather disconcerting. In uh, f- almost 43 years of marriage, she's uh, never been too interested in this. And it's kind of, kind of tried to keep my feet on the ground. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, I'm kind of amazed at her interest in it. But um, there is one thing that um, they painfully fail to appreciate on that show. And I respect uh, the people on the show. Uh, most of them are friends of ours. Mm-hmm. The ones who were uh, interviewed, and um, including Reverend my, my Michael Carter was on a few weeks ago, mm. and uh, they they failed to appreciate other possibilities than ancient aliens. Uh, they failed to appreciate, I think, something that Stanton Friedman, the grandfather of modern UFO studies, uh, believed in. At least he told us that he did. The cyclical theory of history. Mm. Again, apologies, my voice. I sound like uh, Don Corleone here with the uh, vocal cord condition I have. However, um, he would um, say that uh, we we have not had a linear history where you go from caves to condos mm. in a straight line over all that time. Right. We have a million years at least of empty history we know nothing about. Uh, many indigenous peoples, including the Aborigines of Australia, and I heard it right from the horse's mouth down there in 1979, and other indigenous peoples, particularly the Hopi mm. of the American Southwest, believe in a cyclical theory that we have been, as it were, from stone tools to power tools maybe four times in all that long history most of which we know nothing about. Mm. So uh, there could be influences of that kind, uh, and the abductions could be cross-world travel of some kind. So, um, oh yeah, we better stop yakking, we take our break. Okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal, so stick with us. From the events calendar at WinsocketRadio.com, Purple Up 
at Foolproof Brewing, Sunday, April 23rd, from noon to 6. The American Legion Post 85 will be hosting an event, not on their property, but down in Pawtucket at Foolproof Brewing. That's at 241 Grotto Avenue in Pawtucket. Well, this will help raise money for the Purple Up campaign to help military kids, food trucks, cornhole raffles, and, of course, craft beer will be there as well and the Boston Bruins jersey. Go down and see them at Foolproof Brewing, 241 Grotto Avenue in Pawtucket, Sunday from noon to 6. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WOON AM and FM. I'm Paul Eno, and Ben is here with me. Uh, We're doing open lines today. If you'd like to call us, it's 401-766-1240, or uh, email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. So, Ben, I don't know if you want to respond to Peter's question on abductions. Um, I mean, I, I I think you pretty much covered it. I, we, we're still hearing more, but I, I think um, I think a lot of it isn't as publicized. There's a, there's a lot more studies going on from a lot of different groups that are kind of doing more like I don't want to say focus groups, not the right word, but there's there's a lot more studies going on, like Kathleen Martin's whole organization. Like yeah. basically, kind of tra- tracking and cataloging, and, and, and the Starborn group, yeah, yeah. the Starborn group, and, support groups, right? So yeah. there's, there's more of that going on. So it's less like Betty and Barney Hill type stuff, and more mm. like it seems like it's a lot more intimate, if yeah. that's the right word to use, because it's mm. it's it's such a it's such a personal it's such a personal experience, and it's like you know it can be either really good or really bad depending <clears throat> excuse me depending on who you talk to. And um, I think the really important thing is is it's it's not as you, we still hear hear about it, but I think the problem is not the problem, but I, I think the difference is how it's how it's approached by the community now, yeah. rather than okay, let's publicize it. It's like all right, well, you know, these people endured something that's traumatic in some way, shape, or form, even if something good happened. Mm. It's like you know it, the way that it's approached is is different. It seems it reminds me of that uh, case. We, um, against our better judgment, went with a group uh, to a house in Massachusetts because they were having, uh, quote-unquote, ghost problems, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they were all excited about, they got this picture, they got that, and the poor homeowner sitting there, nobody's paying attention to her, except us. We believe in a people-centered approach rather than a phenomena-centered approach. In the same way, I think many people who... Uh, went through the abduction experience, whatever that may have been, uh, felt neglected uh, by the mainstream researchers who were just interested in the phenomena. Did anybody else see the craft or whatever it was, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think you're absolutely right. There's more of a, a personal approach now. Yeah, I think that's kind of the big thing is just how the the approach is, has has been sort of shifting, especially in that yeah. realm. Yeah. Where where you know now there's there's more. That's why I I always really like the whole support group idea because it's it is it is really tough, you know. Yeah. It's like that's that's a you know probably a mind wrenching experience, you know, to say the least. Well, so, that's it. So I, I think that that's really important. But I guess going along with your your sort of thread of of talking, I'm going to take uh, Phil from Georgia's. Sure. Question slash point here, um, which is the emergence of artificial intelligence is uh, raising grave concerns for our future. However, uh, it is possible that modern. However, is it possible that modern humans are actually AI? 
if our DNA has been altered by unknown entities, we might be. Uh, human evolution took that giant unexplained leap with the Sumerians. Well, that's that's true. Um, also, uh, nobody pays much attention to this, but at the same time the Sumerians were uh, taking that giant leap, uh, there was a lot of movement in that direction in China as well. So, you, get, you know, it was a little bit before that, but, but you know, around the same time. Uh, well, I guess it's kind of whatever your definition of artificial intelligence is. That's true, yeah. Because it's... it's um, I mean, I don't... I, I don't really much agree because this is this is kind of journeying back over into ancient aliens territory, which I, I kind of am in, in the same boat as you, where I feel like it doesn't really give humans a lot of credit. No, and it's it's like it's it's just kind of like well we couldn't do it we were a bunch of dummies with hammers and it's kind of like the opposite side of the spectrum. People are pretty a, smart, right? They wouldn't have survived, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, and it's it's. But the theme that we see in a lot of um, ancient mythologies is that humans were sort of given given tools in in a sense, things they just like weren't ready for, because you know we're we're cunning little little critters, and you know you give us the right stuff and we can you know pretty much make anything. You know, it's yeah. like like yesterday, right? This is a little personal example. I was told by my lovely wife. Please install this new uh, light in our dining room, and I said okay. So I take down the old light and I go to put up the new one. My the plate that I'm supposed to be, you know, screwing to the um, to the receptacle is is too small. So I rack my brain and I go through all of the miscellaneous junk that I have, and I manage to kind of rig up, you know, a, a nut and a bolt, and I screw it together, and then good as new. And I, you know, I, I kind of rigged it together. You know, definitely wasn't meant to fit, but you know what? It worked. And so I didn't need aliens to teach me how to do that. <laughs> I just, I just, I figured it out because I yeah. used the tools that I had and I made a solution work. So the the big theme that we see in ancient mythologies, right? So you know, your your Prometheus, your your Enochs, your whoever, right? You know, they'll, they'll, they'll come down and they'll say, alright, humans, here's something cool for you to use, and then they inevitably get punished by the other gods. But, you know, then the humans have this, like, technology, and it's like, oh, what are we gonna do with this? You know, we're yeah. given sort of a raw material, right? And then it's like, well, we can, we can do, we can do this with it. We can, we can make weapons out of it, we can build buildings, we can do all this stuff, and it's like, that's kind of the big thing. You know, you have stuff that pops up like, oh, they're messing with DNA and all that. But the big thing isn't so much the DNA. I think we're kind of, you know, reading, <laughs> losing the forest in the trees. The mm. big thing is is um, we're missing the fact that it's like the, what's given to us is is technology. And it's like, and it's, it's stuff that, you know, the, the continual theme is we're not ready for it. And it's like so we we do all sorts of things with it, right? So like you know we'll 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 take Prometheus as an example, because he brings down fire, he gives fire to people, and then you know the gods Greek are mythology, yeah. right? Yeah, and and so then et cetera et cetera et cetera. But then you know you get more into detail if anybody's ever read One Enoch, which is very fascinating by the way. Yeah, because you know obviously a relative of ours. <laughs> exactly. But you know, jokes about that all the time. But he kind of comments on on other mythologies that are going on at the same time, right? Mm. The Sumerians, you know, anybody in Mesop- Mesopotamia, really, 
where you know you have have the gods lowercase g coming down and saying all right here's the art of metallurgy right and so it's like so they they kind of just say here here's how you do it and then they kind of just leave it and, and walk away <laughs> and it's like yeah. so it's like what do you do with it well i guess you know i don't really like my neighbor so much i'll make a, a bronze sword and i'll i'll go and go and hack him to pieces and so or you know they'll i remember makeup was another one of them was one of the ones enoch complained about and or like you know music or anything like that and it's like this all these things that you know on the surface seem very good but at the same but they can be used in in different ways it's very am, ambiguous and we 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 don't like ambiguity. We like things to kind of like be be you know good or bad. And it's like, well, you know, I'll make the argument that you know, I'm not really a huge fan of technology. People are like, well, it does so many things. It heals people. It does all this. And it's like, yes, but it also makes nuclear bombs. Yeah. And so, I think the thing that we that we need to keep in mind is is that you know, sure, you have all this stuff that we can really get lost in the weeds with, you know, ancient alien style with. Well, you know, someone came down and messed with our DNA, which is entirely possible. I don't, I don't. Well, you have two hundred twenty-three genes that shouldn't be there. No, I don't. In I, the human genome. No, I don't disagree with that. You know, and I, you know, I know, I know that I know the facts. The facts are there, but the thing that that is also important is there's a lot of other factors too mm. that we could just not even be be taking into account. You know, whether it's the cosmic dust cloud theory or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's like, you know, even Skittles, right? Skittles actually have the power to, you know, it's, they're, they're so genetically altered, they've, there have been studies done where it shows that they change human DNA. You grew up on Skittles. I did, and it's probably why I have stomach problems, but that's a different point. So the, so the thing is, it's like, you know, we, we mess ourselves up all the time. And, and so, you know, I can only imagine, you know, what we're doing to ourselves now. Well, the whole but, AI, I'm sorry, did, did you finish? No, well, the, so this is, I'm, cir- I'm circling into my point. So the, the point being is that, that the whole artificial intelligence thing is, is really not anything new. In a sense, it's it's the same theme of us attempting to create something with what we have, yeah, so that it can accomplish a task that we can control utterly. But then it all always ends up in a sense where it just completely goes out of control, right? You know, it's the whole point of it's like you know we have we have all these hierarchies and such and governments and all that so that we can control the world around us. But inevitably, it always, it always you know, falls apart. That's We're just, a bunch of Dr. Frankensteins. Effectively, yes. So so I, I think really, you know, along with, with that theme, a lot of the themes in ancient mythology were just us getting technology we just were not ready for. And, you know, arguably, I just don't think morally, spiritually, mentally, whatever, we're not really <laughs> ready for a lot of these things. And so, but we're, we're given these things and, you know, you can even see it in UFO mythology, right? And I call it mythology only because it's like, it's, it's sort of a modern mythos, right? You know, the whole, like the whole idea that tinfoil came from UFOs, right? Yeah. Or, you know, that... Velcro. Velcro. Stuff that's, that's like, that, that's being distributed by the, the, by the higher ups, the unknowns, the mystical people that are in the government. And it's, it's the, it's the same thing. It's, but it's our modern-day Prometheus. Well, when it comes to AI, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Jeffrey Kripal, who was on the show a few weeks ago, and will be with us on the panel for our 1,000th show in June, was saying that uh, he does not fear AI in the sense that it, it, it does not have a soul or an animus or whatever 
you want to call it, that people have. Uh, I don't know if I agree with them on that, but uh, there is a component that would be missing. But the component I see missing from AI is conscience. I mean, there, are not, there are enough people who don't have any conscience anymore. We don't need machines doing that. So uh, I am uh, very uh, concerned about it as well. So, But as far as whether that helped to create us, uh, there's really, I don't know if there's any way to really even know that. Mm. Except for the genome, having these extra genes, which doesn't necessarily mean AI. It means somebody might have messed with us, whether it be aliens or humans from other Parallel realities are kind of blundered in them, and who knows? I mean, the problem is that we we program it, and it functions within those parameters, yeah. right? So it's like, you know, I always reference Dr. Paula Boddington with her work on the ethics of it, mm. because it's, it is it is really true, because the first question that you really need to ask is, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, it's it, it's getting conscious, and it's like, well, how do we even know we're conscious? Yeah. That's, that's the first question. And the second thing is, well, I mean, it, it functions within the parameters that you give it. And so with that, it's like, you know, you work, you work, it's, it's only, it's only as ethical as the thing, as the person that creates it. That's right. And so because it's functioning within certain parameters, even if it seems like it's not right, if it's continually learning, it's like at the, at the end of the day, it's like, it's still Skynet was still created by a person and functioned within parameters. And so, you know, at, at some, <clears throat> at some point it's like, uh, it, it'll 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 require so much processing power that it just I, I don't know it, it's it's a whole thing, and I I think in the broadest sense of the definition right you know intelligence that's created artificially if we want to say that we're artificial intelligence you know I I don't know it's like I, I had a I had a, a chemistry professor in college who made a really interesting point um, he was because we were we were talking about uh, synthesizing um, polymers, right? So, like, creating new... Well, not creating. We can't use the word created because he made a joke. He was like, yeah, biology is really very religious because we don't create anything. We synthesize it. Uh-huh. And so... Because you don't really make anything. You just kind of combine stuff. And that's that's how you get different different materials and all that. So, like, your plastics and things like that, you know, your... Etc. But the the really interesting thing that, that came out of that was was that whole statement that we don't create stuff we synthesize it and and so we're not really creating anything we're just synthesizing so in in that sense it's like if if it is artificial intelligence if we are indeed that it's like the, the difference is we weren't created that way it was synthesized all right i don't know if that that makes much of a difference but it's it's i don't know well don't, it would i think but we just don't know Right, that's kind of the big problem right, but, uh, is we're uh, thank not you, entirely Phil, sure. For the question, uh, several people wrote in, and I, I didn't put it in the script, uh, asking, I guess people are going back listening to old shows. Oh, boy. And we did one in 2011 on the bloodline with a fellow from England who had researched this stuff that uh, later, I guess, became uh, the Dan Brown films you know the um what what were they with with tom hanks oh oh oh, oh uh the da vinci code, da vinci code uh, and uh angels and demons angels and demons, yeah and uh the idea being that um 
Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and uh, everybody had a fit. Um, it's funny, we, we come from a more Eastern perspective and uh, they were good films uh, as far as they went, but I'm just flummoxed as to the problem uh, with Jesus having a bloodline. I mean, so what? I, I said this in the seminary. I would ask if Jesus is truly God and truly man, as the theology says, why wouldn't he have had children, a family? That's really kind of, you know, uh, something you do. Uh, and especially for a young Jewish man in that time and culture, not to have done so would have been extremely strange. Uh, Peter had, they, most of them had families, as far as we know. So I don't see the whole problem. And again, this is in response to uh, questions about this uh, with, with the whole issue. Um, there's one scene in uh, Da Vinci Code where, where the mad monk says to the woman who turns out to be a descendant of Christ, every breath you take is an abomination. Something like that. I mean, why? I don't get it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I could fixation I could, on sex. Well, I could I could probably take a stab at it, but I I don't really want to delve into no, I'm just theology or apologetics. <laughs> yeah, I'm just uh, responding to a couple of questions that came in. So what's uh, we have yeah, we time maybe one more. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I guess we can. Uh, I, I, you know what? Uh, let, let's. I'll, I'll get. I'll give you. I'll give you. Give you a choice. I'll give you a quick synopsis, and we'll we'll see which which one we want. We want to take. I, I think I'm, I'm not sure which one would make the most sense to kind of end with. Uh, one is about cattle mutilations. And the oh other... yeah, what about that one? I've been hearing a lot about that. Yeah, sure thing. Okie okay, dokie. Uh, so this is from Carrie uh, from Australia, and Carrie writes. Um, uh, what's your take on all these cattle mutilations in Texas? Uh, here's uh, what a news story said. A straight, clean cut uh, with apparent precision had been made to remove the hide fr- around the cow's mouth on one, s- uh, on one side, leaving the meat under uh, the removed hide untouched. The uh, MCSO said the tongue was uh, completely removed from the body with no, with no blood spilled. Uh, it was noted there were no signs of, of struggle, and grass around the cow was undisturbed. No footprints, no tire tracks were noted in the area. Uh, ranchers also reported no predators or birds uh, would scavenge the remains of the cow, leaving it uh, to decay untouched for several weeks. Uh, five other cases like this were reported in Madison and Brazos County area. Well, one thing that struck me, the first thing I looked for was whether this is in the flap area that we have just begun to research in the area of Texas known as the Big Thicket. Mm. That's between uh, Houston and the Louisiana border. Uh, it really isn't. It's north of that. So, um, but, but I mean, I've, the, the, the strangest thing about these cases is they're receiving so much press coverage. Mm. That's my opinion. They aren't, they don't particularly stand out. Uh, as these cases have gone for decades, uh, the removal of the, the surgical removal, removal of the tongue on many of these poor cows is um, not necessarily common either. But uh, and they are within 
uh, an area of two counties there. So, uh, but the absence of tire tracks or any other evidence of vehicular movement is interesting. Uh, some of the stories we've heard about these cases in general uh, have ranged to the pretty weird in the sense that um, there will be a helicopter that is entirely silent, seen by some witness. Or there is a glowing UFO disc that sounds like a helicopter. Mm. And, and that, you know, in, in both cases, they disappear rather rapidly. Um, there have been figures seen around the bodies of some of these animals. And I'm now talking about the Texas case uh, recently, but, in, you know, in the history of these things, mm. uh, supposedly, mm. and uh, still no tracks are found later. Yeah. Uh, police have arrived, done forensic investigations, and they pretty much get nowhere. Uh, we have done shows on this, not for a long time, but uh, in one of them the opinion was expressed, I guess, by me, that uh, at least I heard through the grapevine more than once that in that area of the country there were a lot of uh, nuclear open-air bomb tests in the oh, 1950s. Yeah. I was, I was going to bring that up. Okay. Well, why don't you finish the thought? Well, it's it's because um, now that now that we know, thanks to horrible experiences throughout the last you know 50, 60, 70 years of nuclear testing that the the half life of of any of the particles floating around it just it's it just settles and stays so it's entirely possible that the cattle could be consuming you know grass that may or may not you know have <laughs> nuclear chemicals in them so the the opinion was that it's possible that these some cattle were selected to test and see if there was any radioactivity going on in, inside of the cow and that would then leach into the food and then you know into into humans is is kind of the fear so i mean i i could imagine that o- only because right so so great the only reason that i can imagine the secrecy around it right so like the uh, in ohio right with that train exploding yeah and all of that there's from what i i've i've heard from unofficial we're going to say unofficial news sources there's a lot of stuff that's happening in that part of the world that's very disturbing that nobody's talking about. And so, you know, one of the things is how that, I think, like, like that that town is just, you know, very unsafe to live in because of all the chemicals and stuff they're leaching into the water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have a charity on our charity page for that. Yeah, and, and it's it's East awful. Palestine, Ohio. Yeah, it's really it's really it's really just like it's it's awful. And yeah. and I can imagine, and there's, you know, I, I, I forget, you know, the, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, and I can imagine that. Let's say you're a meat supplier, right? And you know your your you, you the cattle that you buy, you know you want to you want to test it and make sure there's nothing in there, but you don't want any coverage of it of it of it. So you do your best to kind of keep it as clandestine as possible, you know, because that would be bad for business. I can imagine that 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 would would probably be a thing. But again, this is just a theory, right? So it's so it, you know, like having some sort of mystery around it. You know, would probably be better for you. You know, blame it on UFOs. Don't. <laughs> yeah. That's easier than 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 you know, saying, oh well, you know, meat might be contaminated. You know, that's that's kind of the thing. Is I I could imagine that that might be 
you know, bad for business if it's if if that's what you're doing. But you know, the other side of the coin is is you know maybe it maybe it is aliens testing testing our our cattle and such. And it has been, I, I for some reason I always think of Gary Larson cartoons. <laughs> any any time that that kind of comes into mind, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, the funny thing is that um, there's tons and tons of government land out there mm. with cattle being grazed on it, and why don't they do it on government land if it's the government's behind it? Well, if you're leasing government land, right? They're basically yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah. So it's like you know, some some cattle rancher is like, all right, here's X amount of dollars for lease. Yeah. And you know, that it, it's that you know, you can see where that goes. Yeah. So. So who knows? But. Uh, I'm uh, the biggest mystery is why it's getting so much uh, coverage press now. Cover. Right, that's interesting. All right, shall we? We uh, we shall. Well, here we are towards the end of the show, and it's our favorite time, which is announcements. Uh, so, looking, you can check us out the Exeter UFO Festival in September. That's uh, Labor Day weekend uh, for my dad and my and for my dad, he will be at the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. So visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can find nearly 1,200 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, in here on WON, 1240 AM and FM. And now we're only seven shows away from our thousandth show. Yep. Also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms and apps, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And you can download our show app. It's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. It doesn't do much, but uh, you can also check out on our website. Uh, you can browse our, our books along with those of our guest co-hosts uh, at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. BehindTheParanormal.com. One more time, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can also find out more about the show, uh, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us. There's no 800 number. No, uh, 1-800-BEHIND-THE-PARANORMAL. It's too many, too many uh, letters. Our website has a charity page, as I mentioned. It's got links to several good causes we've adopted, including the one for East Palestine, Ohio. It's a GoFundMe page. Mm. Uh, the Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Mass. USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans. That's my favorite and the Crows and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. So check that out, please. So what do we have going on for next week, Ben? Oh, boy. it's uh, We have a show coming up next week that's uh, British UFO researcher and author Gary Hesseltine will be back to talk with us about some new details on the Rendlesham Forest case of 1980. I feel like we... I, I always like having Gary Hesseltine on. We have an, Gary's like, good. He's a retired uh, detective. Yeah, he has he has a certain way of investigating that is it's very very methodical, very well thought out. I mean, probably comes from his, his time and yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in being being a part of the force. But still, you know, it's it's good stuff. And I I always like having him on. He's very thoughtful, yeah. very well researched. Well, uh, that being said, you once threatened to disown me if we did another show on the Rendlesham case. Well, I'm but now much more mellow stuff. than I once was. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've mellowed with old age. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's also it's a big it's a big case, and I I I, <laughs> I think there was a period of time where it was like every other week we did a Rendlesham Forest show, and I think at that at that point I was I was uh, I was a little fatigued by it. Yeah. So you can forgive me. <laughs> well, what happened to you there? You shouldn't forget that. No, 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 not at all. Anyway, uh, we leave you today with a thought. 
from American Olympic athlete Simone Biles, whom I believe just got married. Mm. Um, I'd rather regret the risks that I didn't that didn't work out than the chances I didn't take at all. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time. On Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition.